It's a huge delight to worship with you this morning, that you would give your attention to the living God and begin your week by having Him shape you, correct you, animate you, bless you, and then shoot out from here in service to the world. So this is an important time and a sacred time and a beautiful time. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors in the life of our church. My job today is to preach to you from the words of God that you might hear them and be helped and be changed. This is uh, back-to-back sermons that we do at the start of every church year so that we say, here's what we're going for and here's how we're going to get there together. So today is the annual Who are we again? Why are we here? What does it look like for us to have success in the life of our church? All right, let me start here. Who really wants to see a genuine work of the Spirit of God in the life of our church and churches? It's like, who's like hungry for that? I mean hungry like this hungry. A few years ago, a few years ago, Grace and I went to a friend's house in Malden for dinner. I'll put quotes around that. We sipped fruit punch from shot glasses. We had cheese, crackers, soup, and kale salad. And that was it. And it was like, have a good night. I was so hungry that we drove right to Popeye's chicken, and I just stood at the menu, and I was like, 37 pieces, I want 37 pieces. Do you feel that hungry right there? That kind of hunger for God. So this whole sermon today, actually this church and the churches that we're planting in general, will make no sense to you at all, at all, if you're not hungry for that kind of gospel work to go down. I want that. That's why I'm here. That's why my family's here. That's why we are here I believe that Jesus' promise to build his church and the kind of church that the gates of hell would not be able to withstand is legit. I believe when he said that he was not talking about a shoddy, confused, wussy, worldly, pathetic, compromised church that exists for a generation and then become condominiums. That's not my vision of those words. I think he meant a strong, vibrant, compelling, holy church that would push back the gates of hell in real time in their generation. I want that bad. And because I do, I really also want to know, what does that look like? So those are nice words to kick off a sermon, but what what does that look like on the ground? How would we know? If our church, if any church, had the distinct marks of a work of the Spirit of God, how we would know if we were gospel successful. All right, maybe an illustration will help. Let's say that Sam completely lost his mind. I mean, just went off the deep edge and said, I'm taking all of the middle school students that I'm discipling, and we're going on a three-night camping trip in the woods in New Hampshire. So... I don't know why you would volunteer to do that, but let's say that we did that. What would success look like on a trip like that? What's the first thing that comes to mind? 
was it all the children make it back successfully to home? Okay, the parents are like, I know what my first mark of success was. No one disappears, no Power Ranger, uh, Park Ranger, rescue teams on... Power Rangers would be awesome. That would be a mad success. We found their lair in the woods, all four of them. No park rangers with helicopters, no injuries, no bears or wolves or hornet's nests involved, maybe nice weather. These would be marks of success. Okay, what else would be a mark of success on a trip like that? Come on, I'm not a woodsman. I don't know, like, how would that, what would be good? The kids build friendships together. They shop in their survival skills. They learn how to be a team together in some way. Whatever it is, before you leave, you kind of think on, this is what it would look like if, if this thing went really well. We talk about this with sports teams all the time, right? So my Julia girl was on her first ever sports team this year, U10 instructional girls softball. What's a successful season for that team? Well, it depends on the coach, right? Up in Marblehead, I listened into the coach's talk with the team. It was so sweet. He gathered all these little girls. He said, girls, I'm so glad you're here today. It doesn't matter if we win or lose. Just have some fun. Learn how to be a team. We'll work on those skills we've been doing together. And after the game, everybody gets Richie slush. You feel that? Success is fun and cherry slush. Now, if my dad was the coach of that team, how would that speech have gone? Little girls, I've got one word for you. Domination. (laughs) We are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to win the eight, nine, and ten-year-old instructional girls softball league championship. So I don't want any crying about playing time. Anybody strikes out looking, there's no slush for you. All right, hands in. Let's do it. Do you feel that? Either way, what's been done? It's clear this is what success will look like. Okay, here's our question today. This year, forever as Jesus' people, what about a church? What does gospel success look like or not look like? Okay, let me start with some not great answers, at least not final answers. We're trying to get to a foundational, final answer from God's Word together today. Okay, number one, in our context, at the age of our church, at the age that I am, and absolutely speaking to you, having let these words sit on me first, with my personality type, right? Nice and neat and thorough and a little bit annoying and type A. With my life stage, 42 years old, 40s. The first answer that pops up, and it's one that we have to be really careful of, is this. This will be a successful year, uneventful. Everything goes smooth. Let's just do our thing together for another year. We'll preach our sermons, we'll sing our songs, we'll share our meals, we'll disciple our kids, we'll love our neighbors, we'll meet our budget, we'll keep the space clean. That's a good year. Do you feel this? In the negative way, we would say, here's success, no drama. 
no difficulty, no money problems, no Sundays where we don't have enough musicians or children's workers, no relational conflict this year, no late nights working through stuff with each other, no sermons where Pastor Cruz says stuff that I don't really like to hear, no teenagers in the church struggling with unbelief, no public shaming of our church for our Christian doctrine, no divorces, no cancer diagnoses, no tragedies, no funerals. That's a good year. Okay, for many of us, if we're honest, this would be the first answer that comes to mind. You did it with the kids, right? Just don't let anything crazy happen and don't let anyone get hurt. There is a sense in which stability is a good thing for gospel advance. So there are verses in your Bible that basically say, all else equal, be at peace with everyone. Be at peace within the life of the church. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be overdramatic for no reason. Don't go picking fights. Don't be sinful and sloppy. Keep the drama down. This way, the gospel can be the focus. I could preach some sermons on that from some texts of Scripture. But if that becomes our final answer for what success looks like in a church, we're dead. We're dead. Jesus does not promise anyone a safe, carefree Life where everything is comfortable and easy. He does not do it. I told you I was reading Dangerous Calling. I finished it this week. I felt like a pinball, and the Holy Ghost was just like the flippers. Ba 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 boom, ba ba boom. You know those machines where it's not just two flippers, but they're like tucked in everywhere? That was me reading this book, just getting beat around. Here's one of the sentences I circled in the last chapter Pastor, It is so easy to tell yourself that you just want what is best for your church when what you really want is a comfortable and predictable ministry life. That cannot be our final answer. Now, the debt does not mean that anybody with a house and a mortgage and a dog and a deck is somehow like in compromised sin at all. Those things in our mission field can be beautiful instruments of gospel advance. It just means, and let's hear this together again, comfortable and smooth is not the bottom of how we know that this was a good year. Okay, so how about this? Let's move on from there, a little bit better. How about fruitful? A successful church is when the church grows. Any math people in here, you know the the line chart, that 45-degree angle up to the right of the page? That's success. More members, more givers, more attenders, more programs, more staff, more influence, more website hits. Growth, that's how we'll know. Let's just measure it today, measure it next Labor Day. If we've grown, the Spirit was with us. Okay, better answer, but there's still some issues here. 
danger if this is final for us. As Americans, we love this answer right here, no? So this one like puts the flutter in our heart. Our magazine, Christianity Today, publishes every year what? Its list of the top 50 fastest growing churches. What's the assumption behind the article every year? That equals success. Let's read about and learn about these churches because they're growing, therefore the Spirit must be working. My little brother was at a church planning conference in the South and he posted the logo from the conference on Twitter. What verse do you think they cherry-picked to headline this conference? All right, it was Acts 16.5, which says, so the churches grew larger every day. And they put that like on giant posters and, and handouts and everything. I did the math on that. That would mean we would be rocking 400 people in this church by next year this time. So like 98 plus 365, there's no leap year, 366 would have been better, but we'll be at like 435 if that's the defining mark of the Spirit being with us. All right, what's the potential danger? Potential danger about just half of a verse used in that way. You can't equate numerical success with gospel success. So the first problem we all know is that you could be the fastest growing church in the history of churches, and underneath that you could be a train wreck, right? Of heresy, of dysfunction, of manipulation, of false hype. It is totally possible to grow fast and furious in a hundred non-gospel ways. So this just can't be final. The flip side is that it is totally possible for a church to not grow and totally have the Spirit of God heavy on that church. Some of the most pronounced moves of the Spirit of God right now on this planet are in churches that have less people than like a Honda Prius convention in central Iowa. What's that, like 11 people would show up for that? And the Spirit of God is in what they're doing. You know there are churches in prisons with four or five Christians in the Middle East, and they are a wild gospel success. And so, should we measure growth in the life of our church? Yes. Normally, when the Spirit shows up, will He attend that with increasing numbers? Yes. The book of Acts beautifully maps that kind of feel out for us. But this cannot be the final answer in our hearts or our minds. If it is, it will steer us away from who we're trying to be. All right, let's get an even better answer. How about this one? You know what's coming here. How about faithfulness? Success is we did what we were called to do. Good answer, even better answer, but still not final. So let's talk about this. There's a beautiful sense in which any church gives itself fully and happily to the things the Lord has called it to. That is a success regardless of measurable outcomes. So we're one step closer here. In other words, if you stand back and you look at your church, your home, a movement, and 
at the end of a year or 10 years, you can say, did we seek the Lord in prayer? Yes. Did we preach gospel-centered sermons? Yes. Did we give generously? Yes. Did we love the poor and those in need in our communities? Yes. Did we gather regularly for worship? Yes. Whatever the list is, we can say whatever happened around that was not our job. That was the Spirit's job. We, we were a success. There's truth there. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, he starts rattling off to Timothy commands of stuff to do, right? Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Boom, 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 boom. Timothy, if he was holy, and he was, would have received that and said, faithfulness is a mark of success in my life that I have done what God's called me to do. True, but what is the danger with this becoming the, the bottom final answer? What's the danger? A church really could do all this stuff and miss God. A church could do a bunch of stuff, beautiful stuff, but miss God. You could do all of this like a robot, just going through the motions, cruise control. Your body's here, your heart is over there. You know that you could do all this proud, we're better than them, look at what we do. We were successful this year. I was at church 51 times. Your heart could be exalted in the faithful doing of church stuff. We can never forget that Jesus said on his day, pastors, ministry leaders, gospel folk will stand before him and go, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he says, yeah, but I never knew you. So it is possible to do, 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 and miss the work of the Spirit of God. Activity on its own can never be our final measure of success. There's got to be something deeper. All right, here's what I want to put forth as a final foundational answer to this question. It's going to be a weird word at the top, but we'll work through it from Scripture. How do you know that the Spirit is at work in the life of a church? Affections. Raised affections. Increased affections. Surprising new stirrings in the souls of men and women for Jesus and for holiness and for Scripture, and for the saints. Affections is not a common word for us. What I'm trying to get at is there is a soul-level work that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. Okay, where am I getting this from? Over the last 18 months, the three topics that I've read the most about outside of the daily grind of stuff is femininity, to just love and serve the women in our church. I've loved reading on that. Persecution, just to prepare my heart and our hearts for that. And revival, because I want it bad. And as I was thinking on it, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. What does that look like? What, what does it look like when the Lord does that in a city, maybe a country, in a family, 
in a church, I want to know. One of the most helpful things that I read in the process of that was a book, it's really a letter, an epistle from the early 1700s called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. It was written by a pastor named Jonathan Edwards, probably the most incredible theologian in American church history. Here's what happened. I don't know if you'll believe this, but take my word for it. In this commonwealth, about an hour and 15 minutes that way, in the 1700s, there was a crazy, wild gospel revival that just broke up, broke out up and down this river that ran from New Hampshire through Massachusetts into Connecticut. It's called the Great Awakening, if you've heard that before. People over in England, the motherland, remember we were not a, 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 these United States yet, we were still colonies, plantations they called them. They wanted to know if what was going on in Massachusetts was legit or not, so they asked Jonathan Edwards to help them know if this was really a work of the Spirit of God. So he goes into his study after observing five years of this stuff in his church and other churches, and he scratches his head and he gets out his quill and he says, how would you know? How would we know if this was a genuine work of the Spirit of God? How would you know? Here's what he did. He went to 1 John 4, and he said, well, this is the text where this particular question is more plainly and fully addressed in the Bible than anywhere else. He went to Scripture. I want us to go there today with him, and when we do this, we're going to see these things jump out at us and go, that's what we're going for this year. All right, I want to move fast through these because this is the big idea, and now I'm just going to Jab, jab, jab you with the details. So here's the text of Scripture. If my words don't line up with these words, don't listen to anything that I'm saying to you. If they are helpful to pull this out, believe and live from this place, there is life here. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, the Apostle John is writing these words. It's a letter. This man lived through the greatest revival that has ever broken out in the history of the New Testament church. It's the book of Acts that we'll be tracking through all year. The Spirit fell and just swept through the Roman Empire, and the church of Jesus Christ was established. This guy watched it happen. This guy preached those sermons. He lived in and among multiple churches in the Roman Empire where there was real gospel work done. If anyone can answer our question about what is gospel success, the Apostle John can do it. Now when he's writing these words, he's older. It's like a half a generation later. And there are false, counterfeit gospels, ministers, churches springing up. And people are saying, John, should we go there? Can we join them? Is this counterfeit? Is this legitimate? They were getting big followers. Fruitfulness was happening in these Gnostic churches. And so John grabs his writing instrument, and he, inspired by the Spirit of God, says, let's answer this question once and for all. Here's what he says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, I know this is strange talk for a postmodern Bostonian because we don't talk this way. 
we all just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, I don't know, what do you think? That's not how an apostle of Jesus Christ works. I love his love for us to say, hey, you can know. You can know. You can look at your soul, you can look at your church, you can look at a movement, and you can know if the Spirit of God is heavy on that place. And then he just comes with his jabs. So let's do the text. First thing he says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Here's what a 1700s preacher would sound like. When the operation of the Spirit is such to raise people's esteem of that Jesus who was born of the Virgin and crucified without the gates of Jerusalem and seems to confirm and establish their minds in the truth of what the gospel declares to us of Jesus being the Son of God and the Savior of men, it is a sure sign that it is from the Spirit of God. All right, now here's 2015 Matt Cruz translation, much shorter. Here's our first mark. Deeper love. Deeper love for and devotion to the real Jesus. I'm just going to press the words from these texts with you that get to the affections, to the heart. So the first word that should jump out of you here is the word confess. That is not just making a statement of something that's true and you go, that's true. Fine. That's not what confess is. Confess is, I have not only come to assent mentally to something being true, but it has moved my heart to change in response to that truth. We know this from John's letter because he uses three words interchangeably, confess, believe, and love. So here he says, if anyone confesses that Jesus is Lord, later on he will say, everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God and everyone who, here it comes, loves the Father. Do you feel that? Affections, passion for Jesus. Now when we say the real Jesus around here, we're getting at John's thing here when he says, they believe that the Jesus who came in the flesh is the Christ, is the Son of God. In his day, there was a Gnostic gospel about a mystical Jesus who would just deal with your mind and not your heart, and it was an enlightening Jesus away from the facts of the gospel. In our day, we know how many thousands of false Jesuses are out there, right? Touchdown Jesus and dashboard Jesus and all the other Jesuses. John says, if you want to know that the Spirit of God is working, somebody begins to have affections, confession, love for the Jesus who lived for them and died for them and rose for them and lives for them now. I'll never forget my friend Marquise's testimony before we baptized him. He told me like his run-up of sin and repentance and grace. And he said he came to a moment at a bus stop or a church somewhere in Worcester. And he goes, and I realized Christ. It was all about Christ. 
that's a sure mark of the grace of the Spirit of God when affections are moved to Jesus. Here's one sign. Is the place amped up about Jesus? All right, then he says this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the false gospelers. For he who is in you, Christ, who you have deep affections for now, is greater than he who is in the world. They, the false gospelers, are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. 1700s, when the spirit that is at work operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom, which lies and encourages and establishes men from cherishing worldly lusts and lessens men's esteem of the pleasures, profits, and honors of the world and takes their hearts off from eager pursuit of these things and engages them in the holiness of heaven, that is a sign that it is a true spirit. All right, Seven Mile Road translation. Reduced love of this sinful world. Reduced affections for this sinful world. John uses the word world throughout this letter to mark out everything that is against Christ and his way and his ethic and his gospel and his kingdom. Sin. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And then he says, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, pride in possessions. That's his definition of the world. In other words, the sinfulness that is in us and therefore is in our broken world. John says something happens in a church, in a soul where the Spirit of God is at work. Affections for the world start to dissipate. People start going, I used to love that. I used to love the taste of that, the smell of that, the feel of that, the applause that came my way. I used to love evil, twisted, selfish stuff. But now my heart has come alive to something totally different. What is that? That is the Spirit of Christ in you overcoming the lure, the temptation, the lies of this world. I have had so many conversations with so many people in this church who have said, this used to be so awesome to me, and now I hate it. I hate it. That used to be me, but that is not me anymore. Did you hear that in this verse? Hitting the wrong one. They are from the world. They speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And what's the implication when there's a move of the Spirit of God? Not you. Not you. Here's how you know. Your heart used to be right in beat, in step with this world, and it's not anymore. The church will feel much less worldly. People will be quick to confess sin. You'll have people talking to you and saying, I'm having a hard time with this. Will you help me? Will you help me? Because I desire holiness in my life. That's a mark 
of the move of the Spirit of God. Bright contrast between our way and the world's way. All right, third one. Then John says this. We, now he's talking about the apostles, the writers of Scripture. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Edwards, the spirit that operates in such a manner as to cause in men greater regard of the Holy Scriptures and establishes them in their truth and divinity is certainly the Spirit of God. And here's my dumbed-down translation of that. A work of the Spirit of God, new affections in here, new desire, passion, deeper love for and confidence in Scripture and sound doctrine, which is just what Scripture teaches us, right? The apostles were inspired by God. You listen to them. That's how you know. That's how you know. Listen is also a word of affection. It's a deep word here. You know how there's some stuff that comes into your ears and you listen to it and it just pings right off of your heart and your life? Like you ever been on the orange line on your way into town and they tell you, community college, next stop. You listen to that, you hear it. Does it affect your life? Do you even remember that two seconds from there? It's just like ping, but you were listening, but not really. This is the complete opposite word right here. This is to hearken. That's old school. To heed, to understand and take in and be shaped by and respond to. That's the feel of this word. If the Spirit of God is in the life of a church, they listen with their hearts to the words of God. Truth, the word aletheia. It's not just truth, it's gospel truth. And it's not just gospel truth, it's another affection word. Aletheia, love for the truth of God. In a culture that is done with the Bible, done with won't even teach it for its literary merit in schools anymore. Just giggling at the ridiculousness of Bibles. Replacing apostles like John with a hundred new apostles that we love to listen to. John says, you want to know about gospel success. There will be a love for the words of God in that community. A love for reading scripture a love for hearing Scripture, a love for the words of God. All right, last one. Here's where he moves to. Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. Whoever loves, they've been born of God. They know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If the spirit that is at work among the people operates as a boon of love to God and man, it is a sure sign that it is the spirit of God. And here's our last translation for this one. 
deeper love and affection for Jesus' people. Love is our last affection word. That's why I'm saying raised affections is the sign in the life of a church. Love is the affection word. To love, to value, to esteem, to feel or manifest genuine concern for, to be faithful towards, to delight in, to set your store or your value upon. You see that happen in the life of a church and you know, you know that's a spiritual success. And I don't mean I love my church because my church meets my preferences for theology and what time it meets on Sunday and what the band sounds like. And there's very nice people there and I love it. That's not a sign or a mark of the movement of the Spirit of God. I mean, I have come to put myself last and these others who I shouldn't even like, no less love, first in my life. Watch me for 52 weeks and you will see sacrifice with joy for the good of others because my heart is exploding with love because God is love. John says, if you see that happening in a community, you know, you know that the Spirit of God is working. Raised affections for Jesus, for holiness, for Scripture, for the saints. This is the bottom measure of success in the life of a Christian church. All right. In the very last section of his letter, after explicating at length these marks from 1 John, and I mean these dudes with the wigs in the 1700s, they knew how to explicate. You ever read a paragraph with 47 sentences in it? Unbelievable. This is what he says at the very end of all this. And this, what I've just described, what I'm calling raised affections, you can give it whatever label you would like. This has been the case in very many instances, in every article, and in many of those, all of these marks have appeared in very great degree. So if I had a wig, it would just like blow off my head at that point, if that ever happened in the life of the church that I was leaving, leading. What did he just say? He just said, you know all that stuff that John tells us about, friends in Britain? It happened in Massachusetts in every instance, one, two, three, four, and it didn't happen like this. It happened like way down deep. It happened. Okay, that is my primary prayer for you, for your children, for your neighbors, that we would be able to say, I went to this tiny little church. People don't even know it's there. They just like speed by it. I'm like, the Sunoco station, this is a church right there. Invisible in the world's eyes that the Spirit of God showed up and moved in our souls and changed our affections. That's what I want. So the question is, is this us? Is this us? The best we could do 
We have built and we are building this church to go to this place. Everything we're doing for goes for these marks. If you looked at our distinctives, you would go, ooh, those match up like really well with everything that John wrote about. Whatever you call them, this is the ground of our success. I need to repent of uneventful. That's a good year. I big time need to repent of fruitful. That's my mark. I've been doing this for 12, 13 years. I need to repent of faithful. I'm just going to grin and bear it and do what I was supposed to do. We need to get to our hearts are constantly being changed. What does this mean? This year, any year in the life of our church, it could go smooth. Fine. Praise Jesus. It could be wild with drama. Fine. Praise Jesus. We could double in size in a year. Fine. Praise Jesus. Somebody give us half a million dollars so we can buy a house and build a parking lot. We might shrink by the end of this year in size. Still totally possible that the Spirit of God is pleased with us and is moving in our church. If this stuff attends our church life, we will know that's a success. God was with us. Okay, and of course, I would not love you if I don't end with this step down into your actual soul. Is this you? So we say this all the time, right? You cannot give what you do not have. How dare we invite others into gospel life if our hearts are not raised with affections for the gospel? So just as we are spending the rest of our time in worship, run through this checklist in your head. Will you do that? Do I have deep affections for the real Jesus who lived for me, who bled for me, who rose for me, who lives for me now? Is there anything going on in there? Do I have real affections for holiness? Or do I kind of like half love Christian and half love world and it's like a little bit of a mix in there? Do I love the words of God? Has anything this week, this month shown that I love the people of God? I need you to get there. We will lead this church so that you can get there. But if we individually and corporately get there, whatever else goes down, we'll be able to stand back and say, the Spirit of God in His grace visited our church. All right, let's start praying for that now. We'll be praying for that together all week. Father, would you... So we have this ministry only by your mercy. There's a million reasons we want our little church to be a great success that are not holy. Would you please crucify, put to death all one million of them, one by one? Would you birth in us affections that are holy? Would you make it such a joy to be a part of this church? Such a joy to be members of the body of Christ here. Such a joy to be brothers and sisters in this family. We will pay whatever price, whatever cost we're in to be able to say that the distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God were a part of these churches that we built.
We could never get there without your grace. So I pray that you would work on this, would be humble, that you might draw near to us and do something beautiful. You are our treasure. We want to confess and listen to and love and be moved by you and your grace and your truth. Would you let this year just be awesome? What, whatever comes, would we know at the end of the year there were raised affections for divine things, for God and Christ? Father, for any of us who are just so pathetic in our devotion to you and so half-hearted and so distracted, you are abounding in grace and mercy. You want to show off your fame in our little lives. That we catch a vision for that, that repentance would come deep in us and that you would do a beautiful work in this church and in this city this year again. This is our prayer. Hear and answer. Amen.